you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand, it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy talking about other directors' work. And we are at the end now of our first pass of the alphabet. So today we are on uh, the letter Z, or Z, if you're listening in the US. And um, yeah, we've we've actually covered 25 directors because we only missed X. so far so yeah it's unbelievable that we've we've got to the end of our first pass there you go (laughs) we have but uh uh, rest assured when we go through the uh, second pass we're going to miss some more directors just because uh it was for some letters it was really hard to find a director to talk about let alone you know other directors to talk about yeah we'll see how we go we see how we go you know we um maybe people can suggest directors for letters that we've uh, that we're gonna miss out yeah well i mean that there are some letters like uh you know specifically like c l and s where there's absolutely dozens of choices but then there's others where that there are indeed less so um also i think it's also fair to say that what we've done so far um you, you know has been very personal i mean we talk a, we've talked a lot about us growing up uh, you know, as kids and getting interested in films before pursuing film school and and things of that nature. Um, so the directors have been very much, uh, you know, sort of personal favourites uh, or not so on on this first pass. Whereas I think as we move forward, the idea is to perhaps uh, you know go even more diverse with some of our choices. And obviously, we've not only um, you know current films, but we've got the whole history of film from from you know it like all around the world to 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 pull from so i'm sure uh we'll we'll discover new things along the way which is which is kind of part of why we do this and part of the fun of it it's yes it's great to go back and revisit our favorites and and stuff but it's also nice to discover new stuff along the way so um so yeah but but indeed uh suggestions are also welcome Indeed they are. So we got, you know, we're going to have a, a great season two coming up, but let us finish season one and uh, let's finish it with talking about a director that you've probably guessed already. If you've listened to the, the whole of the first season, who it's going to be, because, hey, we did a podcast about three of these films already. 
and uh, he is one of the directors that does come up once in a while. Oh no, you mean we're not talking about Rob Zombie or Edward Zwick? Oh, I've I've done the wrong homework. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean you're going to have to wing it? Damn, no, no, not at all. We are, of course, kidding. Um, yes. So you may have heard one of our podcast specials last year, uh, which we called the 88 miles per hour edition, was, was obviously on the Back to the Future trilogy, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis. So today we've made sure uh, that we picked different films uh, of his to talk about for Zed. Well, yes, because otherwise it'd be a bit boring to go over the same territory we, we dedicated the whole podcast to. So this is yeah. the Robert Zemeckis podcast minus the Bats of Future films. And there's still plenty to choose from, I'm pleased to say. Absolutely. He's been quite prolific, prolific in his uh, time since uh, he started making films. Now on IMDb, um, I, the, his earliest um, credit is uh, 1972 with a short film called Lift which um, I believe it was that one or Field of Honor that caught the attention of Steven Spielberg, who asked him to come on and write, um, is it 1941? That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I think once you've got the attention of Steven Spielberg, that's it, your career's made, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, rightly so, because this, guy, this guy's got a lot of talent, um, I think, as a filmmaker. Uh, you know, very interesting body of work. I mean, he's tried a few different things. He, he, you know, he clearly has a, uh, a big interest in, in digital technology and digital filmmaking, which, which we'll come on to. Um, but also, uh, I mean, certainly from a, you know, uh, growing up and becoming interested in films perspective, I remember him being attached as a producer as well to TV shows like Tales from the Crypt, um, and uh, amazing stories and things of that nature, which which were obviously uh, influential uh, as well as the movies. Well, this is it. Um, I mean, the first film he he made as director was a uh, film about the Beatles called "I Want to Hold Your Hand," which uh, I haven't seen, but um, you know, it it looks like it was a lot of fun, and uh, and then went on to make uh, used cars which uh, didn't do too well at the, uh, the cinema. And he had a break about four years before making Romancing the Stone. And then from that film, his career just rocketed because Romancing the Stone was a big hit. And then, of course, the next film he made was <laughs> Back to the Future. And it was an even bigger hit. Yep, no, absolutely. Which, as I said, if you go back and check out the 88 mile per hour edition, then we, you'll hear, hear us waxing lyrical about that film and obviously its sequels. So please check it out. But obviously not until you've listened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert Zemeckis is also known for, uh, you know, as well as doing uh, drama, he, he got very heavy into animation uh, in the sort of two thousands, with uh, doing like films like The Polar Express, uh, Beowulf, and uh, A Christmas Carol, uh, especially where it was this three uh, D motion capture. So the idea is that you could have you could have actors play the same play all the characters in the film. So like with uh, The Polar Express, it was Tom Hanks 
who played all the characters and then with a Christmas Carol it was Jim Carrey and I have to say I've I've never been a big fan of those films because um, they always seem to be more about the um, technology than they are about the story I know I know there's people who actually will love the Polar Express and the Christmas Carol but mm-hmm. I've never really been a big fan of those no well We'll, we'll definitely come to that later and, and, and talk about that in more detail. And of course, you know, in the interim as well, he, he also experimented with with mixing animation with live action, you know, with the with the Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit film. Yeah, which um, which is a film that kind of stands up really well now. But, you know, up to this day, I mean, it's is an amazing uh, sort of sleight of hand trick that he did that you know, that these cartoon characters could interact with the world. And also the fact that not only were they Disney characters, but they were Warner Brothers characters as well. So it was the first time you ever saw, and the only time you saw Mickey Mouse with Bugs Bunny. Which uh, makes it a landmark for that very reason. (laughs) It does indeed. It does indeed. Um, You know, and he's, of course, he's won, uh, you know, an Oscar for for his work on Forrest Gump. Or um, did he has he won any other Oscars, or is it just Forrest Gump that he won? For? Uh, I think it was certainly yes, he definitely won it for Forrest Gump. Um, I'm just trying to think, did he win it for anything else? I think he's been nominated. He's been nominated, but he only won for yeah. Forrest Gump. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty certain that is that is the case. Yes, um, you know, again, very good film, Forrest Gump. I mean, you know, th- this guy has got a pretty impressive. Um, filmography and uh, you know obviously choosing both heaven and hell uh, is always tricky when, when when you've got someone like this which has got so many good films and not that many bad films so you know you have to go through and and pick accordingly but there you go but we, we've managed it we've got it we've got four four films to, to analyze this evening well I would have hoped so that you know with all his credits yeah <laughs> Uh, all right, well let's let's get on to the uh to our first film then. Uh so Keith, what is your pick for movie heaven? Okay, well uh we have mentioned it briefly. Um I have picked uh from 1984 Romancing the Stone. Um really big fan of this film, have been, you know, uh ever since it sort of came out. Um it was another one of those ones, you know, like we're always talking about back in the good old VHS days. I remember uh, seeing this one with my mum, my dad and my nan, who we lived with at the time, who's sadly no longer with us. But um, I remember the whole family in sitting around and actually enjoying this you know, film. It was a proper, proper good piece of entertainment. It really was. I remember it was always being advertised on uh, Fox Video, on CBS Fox Videos, as like a part of an unofficial trilogy. So you had this, you had Jewel of the Nile, and you had War of the Roses, <laughs> which, yes. you know, the, the only thing connecting those films together was the fact that it was Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito. I mean, um, yes, Jewel of the Nile is a direct sequel to Romancing the Stone, but uh, War of the Roses is completely different to uh, to the other two films. You know, it's like furthest from, really. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. Directed by DeVito himself, I believe, isn't it? War of the Roses. That's right, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, th- this was this was very much the era as well of um, 
and, and Zemeckis was a big, big fan of doing this, uh, where they would actually film trailers specifically for the films. Um, oh, that's they, he, right, actually, yeah. actually, he actually did that one for Back to the Future, which we didn't mention in the podcast, where, um, you, you know, he says, where are you going? And he says, about 30 years and, and you, you know, all of that stuff where they were showing the DeLoreans the bit by bit. And it was linked with Huey Lewis and whatever, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you, you got to remember though, um, uh, the 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 voice that, that says "Where are you going?" It's a very sexy one. Go, where are you going? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're thinking, and then you know Michael J. Fox does the, the you know the whole thing with the shades, and it's like thirty years in the past. And I was thinking, I, thinking when I saw that recently, I was thinking. If you had this like sexy woman talking, you wouldn't go, you wouldn't jump in the time machine. You'd be like, I- I'm going to stick around, actually. <laughs> yeah, there you, there, there you go. He hadn't thought that one through, had he? No. Um, but but in this one, I remember, uh, I do remember the trailer was um, Danny DeVito's character uh, on the phone to to Ira, who who he's always ringing, um, yeah. basically complaining, but kind of giving you the the outline of the plot so they actually as I said, they actually filmed a, a trailer specifically for that so i remember mm. i think i think as a family we may have seen that on a on another film that we'd rented which kind of prompted us to get this if if, if memory serves but um but i, I do remember one of the things i i obviously saw it uh, a couple of years afterwards uh, when it was on television because what what I distinctly remember and being quite annoyed about at the time was um, on the television, they'd actually changed some of the audio, some of the swearing in it, uh, which oh, obviously right. it seems very mild by today's standards. But I guess at the time, you, you know, shit and all that sort of thing <laughs> couldn't couldn't be said. So I, I do remember it being, uh, you, you know, one of those films that, that, that appeared odd once you once you knew it to rewatch it on television um you, you know dubbed and and they also did that whole thing where you know they put the um the because obviously this is a, a 235 to 1 scope film uh yeah. that they used to squeeze down the um the, the credits at the beginning and that but then pop out to a full screen and all that sort of thing <laughs> but uh but yeah I, I do do remember that i do remember on this one that the um they didn't squeeze down to the to the picture I, I think it was four by three all the way but it was for the end when you see the boat going down um the, the street down in new york that's when the, the it went into widescreen and you started seeing all the credits so for me watching it this time was actually the first time i've actually seen it in widescreen oh yeah me, me also all up to this point i'd only seen it in uh pan and scan uh, i have to say it didn't add that much to it i didn't feel like i was missing much it's not like when i watched uh, a john carpenter film in its natural you know um ratio it's a natural aspect ratio it i didn't feel like oh wait a minute oh there's there's bits i've missed on this not really because it's only two people so the, the the action seems to be very much in the center of the screen anyway so i didn't feel like i'd missed anything really yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was nice. Um, I I got this, you know, when it in like the mid noughties when it came out on um, DVD, and that would have been the first time that I'd have probably seen in its uh, two thirty five. But uh, I mean, you, you know, Zemeckis does like that aspect ratio, and I think he he uses it quite well. But um, 
maybe you, you know he's also one of those directors that sort of shoots with that in mind you know coming from that era where obviously for television um back in the days when television were four three and everything had to go through the pan and scan process um you know i know some directors back in that era sort of paid more attention to that um so that it would have a better life on on uh, television and, and home video uh, prior to widescreen versions coming out. But uh, but yeah, so, y you know, I mean, it certainly didn't um, originally, uh, y you know, in, it ruined my enjoyment of the film in any way. Uh, I really, I really <laughs> no, love this. No. Um, I think I've mentioned before, you know, like Michael Douglas, um, kind of as, as a kid uh, growing up, along with sort of Harrison Ford, Kevin Costner, and Stallone and Eastwood, you, you know, was amongst sort of my heroes as, as actors. You know, I always kind of enjoyed the movies they were in and the type of characters they played. And uh, obviously for Michael Douglas, um, this was also a, a producing project. Um, he, he had produced uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and obviously would, would you know, go on to produce many films, uh, one, one of which, one of my favourites, Flatliners by Joel Schumacher, which I think is an excellent movie um, that, that he would go on to produce. But uh, with, with, with this one, um, you know, it, this, was, this was a producing project for him. And um, he initially uh, wasn't intending to actually star in it as well. Um, there are a number of, uh, you know, people potentially attached to this. Um, I remember Christopher Reeve. Well, there you go. Another hero actor, along with many others. Mm. But uh, Christopher Reeve was was going to be attached at one point. Um, but it got to a point where they they weren't really able to have any, any luck in, in balancing deals with agents and people's schedules and things of that nature. So, um, you, you know, Michael Douglas ended up not only producing this, but uh, but starring in it as well as Jack T. Colton. T standing for trustworthy, we're told in the film. Um, and of course, uh, starring as well, the, the, the wonderful, we've already mentioned Danny DeVito, but also the lovely Kathleen Turner uh, as yes. Joan Wilder, um, who, is, who is kind of the, 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 the central character uh, in this story. I just want to say about Kathleen Turner, because um, the, the great thing in this film is that uh, you actually believe that um, she could be that kind of, geeky uh romantic novelist at the beginning and then sort of turn out to be quite sexy when it comes to the end you know no absolutely yeah, yeah. you know when she lets her hair down you know and you put her in a sort of you know a flowery dress she's uh you know she could play she played both parts really well so um it was that was really good casting yeah because because before this she had done body heat where she played the femme fatale you know the, the the woman who seduced um uh William Hurt's character in in that film and she's an absolute sex pot in that so to see her playing somebody who's a lot meeker this is this is really good acting yeah oh no it's fair to say she's a very good actress and and certainly the chemistry that she and uh, Michael Douglas have in this film you know works really well um but yeah as you, as you rightly said when, when as the film starts off and we meet her is this romance novelist Joan Wilder um yeah she's far from uh, you, you know she she looks very sort of um spinsterous at home with her cat and her baggy check shirt on and 
think you know, you know trying to find tissues because she's in bits now she's got to the end of her uh her famous novel series and um uh yeah it's good i mean in fact, I, I like the way this film and 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 again they kind of mirror it a bit in the in the sequel um starts off by by sort of starting off within the story she's writing so it sort of yeah. starts off as a western um and uh you, you, you know we're, we're in we're in the old west and uh we basically have this this scene with 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 a voiceover narration um as she's sort of concluding her novel and i remember you know that was that was nicely shot and nicely done and uh and 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 featured a very sexy model if uh, if if memory serves as angelina <laughs> who is the sort of heroine of her story which she sort of ends up becoming you, you know through the journey of this movie she sort of ends up like becoming the hero of her own story which is uh, which is quite nice well this is this is the thing as well is because when uh, the first time we see uh, jack colton he looks exactly like the hero out of her novel. That's right, like the picture on her wall. A absolutely. And and also the way he's shot in the, that opening sequence. Yeah. I, I really noticed it this time watching it. Yeah, well, this is where, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the directors on these things and Zemeckis, and I know we give loads of other people, um, you know, creative people involved, uh, kudos in these things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, Zemeckis, uh, you can see as you watch this film, I mean, obviously when I watched it as a kid, it was just pure enjoyment. You know, now I watch it as an adult, I watch it with a filmmaker's eye always. And, uh, you know, Zemeckis absolutely had his storytelling and his craft down with this. And it's simple little things like that, the, the framing of those shots and the composition of those shots to, uh, to make the hero, um, you know, the hero's appearance in her mind at the beginning uh very similar to the first time we see jack t colton uh when when they meet you know sort of 20 minutes into the film or whatever it is so so yeah that, that that's yeah. very well done the other thing uh, can great... i just can i just sort of before you move on just want yeah, to say sure. about um how good zemeckis is at setup because uh so like with that opening sequence when you know the imagery then parallels what we see when Michael Douglas comes along, but just like lines of dialogue as well, because um, when Joan Wilder gets the package and then finds out that her sister's been kidnapped and she's got to go down with the package, her agents, you know, says, Oh, where do you got to go? Oh, um, Columbia. And she goes, Oh, we sell your books really well down there. It's kind of a throwaway line. But then later on the film, the payoff is, is that, uh, we meet the character of Santos, this drug dealer, yeah. with his uh, with his little mule. With his little mule. Yeah. Um, he's a big John Wilder fan. Yes. You know that bit where he goes, John Wilder. <laughs> you the you John Wilder. Absolutely. In terms of <laughs> foreshadowing and set up and payoff and whatever, this this film um, has that all the layered all the way through and very mm. very very well done i mean interestingly when i um because i watched it on blu-ray for this and there were some uh additional features that hadn't been on the the previous dvds or at least okay. the ones at least the ones available in the uk and um i watched there were some deleted scenes on it and what it seems is they had a casting change during this because her agent um in several of the scenes that were deleted from the film uh, was played by 
well, it was it, it, it was a guy rather than a woman for starters. Okay. It was played by yeah di- a different actor, um, but it was a very different type of relationship and uh, quite interesting. I, I, I don't know whether you, you know they they decided to just go back and reshoot these because they wanted um, a different setup on that bit where they're you know they're looking at the men at the bar and the the agents going through you know too happy too 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 sad you know all of those sort of things um i I don't know but i thought i found that quite interesting to see that it was actually initially a very different um opening uh with her with the with with the with agent um but the other the other great thing about this although it is a tragic story is uh it was actually written by a a first-time writer by the name of Diane Thomas, who kind of um, obviously, you know, channeled, I guess, very much of herself into the Joan Wilder character, um, you know, and understood the sort of writing aspect of it. Um, But sadly, uh, shortly after the success of this movie, um, she was working on uh, another script for Spielberg, and uh, she unfortunately got involved in a car accident and died very young. So she never really oh. got to, you know, she, she, she made this wonderful. I mean, she could have been, who knows, she could have been like the next J.K. Rowling. You know what I mean? <laughs> Back then. But, uh, uh, you know, she, she'd written this, this wonderful um, story and this wonderful set of characters. And, uh, you, you know, it was clearly it, it led to other things if she was sort of w- working with Spielberg. And, um yeah, um, unfortunately, she actually died in a in a in a car accident. So um, very sad because I, th- I think a lot of this film, you know, is very much down to the fact that it's extremely well written. So you know, credit it's, to her. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, do you know what script she was working on? I don't know. I, I only know just bits and pieces. I managed to sort of read while I was um, uh, researching this, but uh, uh, I think I what one thing that that, that was really sad about it is the car she had the accident in i believe was given to her as a gift by michael douglas so because it was a porsche or something so um but yeah very sad very very sad because i I do think you know credit to her uh Mm. yes zemeckis's direction is wonderful but also uh i think this script is fabulous and that's why it works so well i mean it is so entertaining and it's 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 such a journey that we go on with 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 Joan Wilder's character that, like you said, everything is beautifully set up and foreshadowed as it goes along. So, is, do you think that's one of the reasons why the sequel doesn't work very well? Well, the sequel is actually dedicated to her, um, mm-hmm. but yes, I mean, well, we'll we'll, we'll come on to that a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the the sequel. Still, still entertaining, but obviously didn't quite live up to this film, and hence why they never made that. It was originally going to be a third film, um, which sort of sat in development hell for some years, and uh, in the end, they decided to, to can completely. So, you know, so it just ended up with the two films of this franchise. But to be honest, this film worked totally on its own. Do you mean <laughs> that War of the Roses then didn't wasn't the reason it got uh, not made? Ah, yeah. Well, maybe. Who knows? So, um, another thing that's kind of interesting with this is looking at it. um, A lot of a lot of his creative team on this were people who ended up, you know, going with him and and joining up with with him and Bob Gale to um, to to make the Back to the Future movie. So you've got, you know, the the wonderful Dean Cundy as the director of photography on this. Uh, Alan Silvestri provides the score. 
Uh, Lawrence G. Paul is the production designer. So there are a lot of, you know, people that Zemeckis has surrounded himself with that he's gone on to, to, to you know, share his career with and work in uh, many other productions. Um, other thing that works really nicely in this film is uh, the stunt coordinator is Terry Leonard, who was one of the um, stuntmen that, uh, that doubled for Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, did the sort of famous truck scene uh, truck chase scene where he went underneath it um but he's he's on as a stunt coordinator for this and uh again we've mentioned like the little mule already but uh yeah definitely some of the uh some of the car chases and the stunt sequences in this film are pretty impressive to boot particularly the uh the the, the waterfall scene and um uh you, you, you know um very very good very good um work all around i think by by everybody involved now am i right in saying that when they did the waterfall scene they nearly had a, a, a they nearly had an accident didn't like one of the stuntmen i think it was the stunt woman got went under or something you know she got caught on like the car or something i heard this that something went wrong with that stunt with the with the car going over the falls quite possibly yeah I, i'm not sure i'm not entirely sure on that um but uh, I know, I, I, you know, it was certainly an impressive stunt and a very dangerous stunt, no doubt. Mm. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know whether they had complications with that or not. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, every, everything uh, motors along really well here. Um, essentially, uh, you, you know, th this romance novelist, as you've already mentioned, she receives a package from her sister. Her sister, by the way, um, was played by Robert Zemeckis's wife at the time, um, who also appeared in in quite a few of the uh, the Lethal Weapon movies. Um, she so, appeared in all the Lethal Weapon yeah, movies. All the, all, yeah, all of the Lethal Weapon <laughs> movies. There you go. I think sadly she died last year, though. So yes, she so, did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, not not particularly old, but um, sad. But, uh, yeah, so she plays the uh, the sister of, of Joan Wilder. And as I said, she sent this 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 package, which takes Joan Wilder down to uh, Columbia. And I have to say, I, I really do think the uh, the way <laughs> the way they set that up and sort of film the, the, the differences in culture um, mm. is re done really well and quite amusing. You know, she, she suddenly goes down to this country where, you know, they're, they're all clearly uh, experiences and not conceptualizers and you know, every, everything's a complete mess and mm. uh, on this bus journey <laughs> you know they, she ends up colliding with um uh jack t colton's vehicle and that's when like you said you get that wonderful iconic shot where um uh you know she's held at gunpoint um by the uh by the guy at the bus and then jack colton you know comes to the rescue Although uh, one of the things I think they do really well in this film is he's not the man of her dreams in so much as, you know, she, she's kind of painted this ideal picture in her mind of, 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 of you know, Jesse as he is in the, uh, in the books and, and, you know, this, this sort of ideal uh, person. But when she actually comes to meet him uh, or, or you, you know, in the manifestation of, of Jack T. Colton, um, you know, he's a guy that's that, that's very much out for himself, um, you know, is not really initially that interested in her problems. He's got his own problems, uh, you know, and he's he's not the he's not the 
uh, dashing hero that, 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 you know, she would have built up in her mind. And I think that's that's one of the things that works very nicely, because, again, that their, their relationship initially has its ups and downs. And then, you know, you sort of see them fall in love with one another throughout this movie. And again, I think that's in terms of the, the direction and the performances is very well measured and uh, and put throughout this thing. And I, I think I was mm. I, I was I was thinking about this because I did also watch um, Jewel of the Nile uh, following this. And I think that that's kind of one of the problems is obviously they go through this massive adventure in this film, you know, where their lives are in danger and they sort of gradually come to know and trust each other and, and fall in love and have this happy ending, which is not cheesy in the slightest because it's been completely earned. You know what I mean? So you're, you're actually, because this is so well acted and well set up, you're totally with the characters. So when they do go off in the, in the metaphoric sunset at the end on, on the boat, um, you, you, you know, it doesn't feel cheesy or awful like it would in some romantic comedy because you, you know they, they they kind of earned it by that point but I think the problem when you get to the jewel of the Nile is it's that thing like they they they, they use it they say it in a lot of drama if you put these these two characters that they have this will they won't they type relationship once they eventually then get together you, you know from from a drama point of view there, there's there's not so much range for them to go. It's a bit like um, I heard it described with uh, Lois and Clark, you know, the, the, the Superman show in the 90s. Uh, in the first couple of seasons, you know, Clark and Lois were were sort of competing reporters. And he obviously had the hots for her because, hey, she was Terry Hatcher. Why not? You know, um, but they they you didn't know if they were going to get together. And then when she finds out, you know, he's Superman and they get together and they get married and all this that you know, the show kind of lost some of its interest after that point. And, and I think maybe Jewel of the Nile, to an extent, um, suffered uh, fr from that, amongst other things. But, you know, I think that was a factor. I think that when Joan Wilder meets Jack T. Colton for the first time, she doesn't see him as Jesse. We as the audience see him as Jesse. Oh, yeah. She, yes. Yeah. She has a, a perception that, you know, that men are you know would help her in her distress that you know she's a woman on on her own she's in a country she's never been to uh you know she's just had a gun put pulled on her and you know that you know that her rescuer would be somebody who's dashing and heroic and of course jack t colton is just self-serving and he's only after you know to, to make money because he wants to buy his boat yeah when they fall in love there's still that bit where it's like well he could you know he could be as danny devito put it romancing the stone from her mm -hmm. that he's just he's just you know trying to be romantic so that he can get the stone with her you know you know with her and then running off with it and you know leaving her there and at the end, it kind of it, it kind of does make you think yes. that he could have quite easily not turned up the end. I mean, okay, it's a it's a PG film, it's a Hollywood film, so we know we know they're gonna get there, but there's a little bit of doubt. It's a little bit of doubt because you know she she writes the book, um, she writes a book based on the experience. I'm sure she changed all the names and everything. Mm -hmm. And of course the 
agent says, oh, I love it. I mean, especially the bit where he meets her at the airport at the end. And we know that's not happened to her. That she, you know, it's been some time because she's been able to write a book <laughs> yes. of her experience. And also the fact that, um, you know, probably after dealing with all the, the police and everything down in Colombia, would have taken a bit of time. So, you know, it probably, let's say six months, you know, down oh, the easily. line. Yeah, yeah, I would, <laughs> you I would know. agree. So it looks like he left her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but then the, it, the ending is great because there he is he, he's turned up and he got his boat <laughs> yeah and and he's got and he's got his alligator sorry his crocodile um you know cowboy boots and <laughs> no no they're alligators alligators yeah sorry yeah, they're alligators, alligators. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah they're alligators i have to say the the one thing that um i wasn't a big fan of but was all right was the character ira because he kept he just kept on saying that's a snapper look yeah. at that snapper and he even says it at the end when he's got like, you know, um, the, the, the main villain's called Zolo and he's like General Zolo. And he's got like, you know, his own sort of militia. And they're all, you know, he's, they're all there, you know, for the showdown at the end. And even then, when they're doing the whole thing with um, threatening uh, Joan Wilder with feeding her to the alligators, she's, he's like, what a snapper. Yeah, <laughs> that just seems to. That's all I can sort of remember dialogue-wise from him. I know he says more than that, but he just always, you know, especially when they sort of end the scene. I think because there's some scenes where you, it just kind of ends. You, you know that it hasn't. They've the way they've written the scene. There was probably more dialogue, but it, they didn't want it, and so they just ended it earlier. So they just sort of end it on him going, "Look at that snapper." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like an awkward cut. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that there was probably, um, you know, certainly with the Danny DeVito side of things, which I've obviously featured Ira most of the time. Um, you, you know, there was there was probably its fair share of uh, improv for, from yeah. Danny DeVito, who who did some great. I mean, this film is a great mixture of sort of action, romance, and comedy. I mean, it's it's got mm. a bit of everything, and um, da Danny DeVito is is is. Uh, you know, very amusing, both with his sort of physical comedy uh, as well as his um, his dialogue and whatever in this. And uh, I, I actually do kind of like the uh, the ironic reference where when they're in the cave, he mentions oh. uh, Batman showing up. And who who knew that eight years later he'd be playing the penguin? There you go. <laughs> just about to say that. Yeah, it was just great. It's just and also the there's been other examples of this and. The other one always springs to mind is uh, Christopher Walken in the Dead Zone, talking, you know, talking about oh, Sleepy that's right, Hollow, Sleepy Hollow, yeah, which yeah. he then went on to do like fifteen years later or so, playing yeah. the headless horseman. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's 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 just wonderful when that happens, when when just like a line of dialogue, and then and then years later that character then is part of that universe. It's just. It's really good, but then uh, at the time, I don't know who else would have, could have played the penguin. Oh, I know, I know, I know that. Um, uh, um, oh, who was there? Was somebody else quite famous attached, which has gone completely out of my head? Hate it when that. Oh yeah, Dustin Dustin Hoffman was attached at one point. I oh think. okay, but uh, obviously that would have been a very different kind of penguin. But yes, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know he was uh, attached at one point, but. Um, yeah, but yeah well, I mean, so... it's it's like when he was attached to Blade Runner, it would have been a completely different film. But uh, 
Thankfully, we got Harrison Ford instead. Yeah. And this is cool because look at that. We've already got in, in this podcast our Batman and, and Blade Runner references. Yay. <laughs> there you go. It's almost like we're trying, isn't it? It's almost like we're trying to do it. <laughs> we could start our own drinking game every time we, you know, we either talk about Batman, Blade Runner or Alien. You've got to take a drink. Or Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Mm, it's, yeah. It's, Hey, everything's connected. That is the thing with the film business. Yes. It's all connected. Yeah. They're all connected, yeah, it, which is it's which is such a small world. It is sadly. It's that it's a small world unless you're in it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's it. But that's kind of one of the things we we love so much about this. But um, yeah, I mean, y- y- you know, uh, other than just going into plotty stuff, which most people have probably already seen this anyway, um, mm. I've not got much else to say. Other than you know, you know, it was it was really enjoyable. I mean, we we have sort of touched on it, so we'll go there. You know, when, when the going gets tough, the tough make a sequel. Um, and uh, you, 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 you know, interestingly, Jewel of the Nile. Um, you, you know, apart from the the, the three main actors and and uh, Douglas's producer, you, you know, featured yeah. a completely different creative team helmed by. Uh, Lewis Teague in, in, in this case. Um, and I, I, you see, this one, it's weird. I, I, I kind of have a memory of this one because I, I definitely saw the first one uh, on, on video. Um, but I think this one I did actually go to the cinema to see uh, because obviously it was kind of that big deal. You know, oh, this is the sequel to Romancing the Stone. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be great. And, and I have to say, I think I enjoyed it to a point. Um, but it, it didn't, you know, uh, Romance in the Stone works fine as a standalone film and it didn't really, mm. it didn't really need this sequel. But, um, but you, you know, the sequel was, was, was fun. I mean, obviously it was, it was massively known for its, especially here in the UK, um, you know, the Billy Ocean, uh, mm. when the going gets the song, tough, yeah. tough get going with the, with the video, which obviously had all the scenes from, from the film and stuff in it. And of, of course the, uh, uh, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito being the backing singers, <laughs> no, <laughs> which, so which, all which, wearing white suits. Exactly, which was all trying. And also another little bit of really stupid trivia here, but um, yeah. in the in the early cuts of that video, they used to show Danny DeVito playing the saxophone, but apparently oh, that right. caused a problem with the music union, so that had to be changed so that a proper oh, really? musician was shown playing the saxophone. Yeah, bit of bit of sad trivia there, but there you go. Um, How did they take the Paul Simon's uh, video with oh Chevy God. Chase? Who knows? Maybe that's what started it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, it wasn't uh, Call Me Out. It was Call My Union. <laughs> it was, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah, you, you know, I, I thought, I thought, um, I thought the Jewel of the Nile was, 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 um, entertaining to, to to a point um but but you know this this film uh, you know largely down to um diane thomas's script and, and robert zemeckis and his team um i just think and because it was an original it wasn't a you know a sequel it's an original story um mm. worked really well so um so I, yeah for me anyway i'll just say that uh, with jewel and the nile um i did enjoy it a lot when i was a kid yeah um, I, I i saw it on video i didn't i didn't see it on um at the cinema i think i saw i think i probably saw these films back to back because as i said because cbs fox used to have the trailer with you know the three films on it 
know, sort of this sort of unofficial trilogy. And um, yeah, and but watching it again recently, I caught it on TV and I just found it painful. I, oh, I was yeah. cringing for most of it. It was it wasn't great. And no, uh, it wasn't. I, I have seen War of the Roses, but I saw it when I was younger. It's not a film I returned to. It's a film that I remember having not very good memories of, probably because I was too young to be watching it. Yeah. And it just then again, saying that, I'm not a big fan of the Money Pit, which is kind of similar. Right. War of the Roses is a very dark film. I mean, there's a whole bit where the dog gets cooked or something like that. I I I'm just going off off the top of my head. Yeah, the only the only bit I remember is I'm gonna be pissing on the fish. And then when they cut to it, he's literally pissing on the fish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't remember much. I can remember at the end of the film they both end up in the chandelier or something. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I can. I, I also remember that Kathleen Turner tries to uh, seduce Danny DeVito, but I, I think I just remember that from the the trailer more than anything. But yeah, it was off the back of watching *Romance in the Stone* during the Nile that I watched that one. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, I've kind of regretted it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe it's a really good film. Maybe it's worth you know going back and watching now. But uh, it was it was weird that you had this sort of unofficial trilogy just because of the three actors had appeared in these three films. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they you know they all got on very well, and uh, there mm. you go. I guess when. Uh, when DeVito was going to direct something, he thought, oh, I'll bring my two chums in. They'll work perfect for this, you know. <laughs> They've got chemistry. We know it. So, yeah, you know. Maybe they just hated each other at this point. They were like, oh, we play, we play a married couple that just hates each other. Yes, perfect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because that's where it all ends. We all know that. Oh, my God, I've gone into cynical mode. Let's shut up, Keith, right away. Yeah. You know. um, but uh, Oh, oh uh, have we got cynical uh, Keith? on this show as well no, no, you let's, you're getting let's, the let's full move. gamut yeah let's let's <laughs> let's move on but uh no i mean you, you know um romance in the stone just sort of felt like a natural one for me to to choose because it was probably the first robert zemeckis film i saw and um you know it had a, a big impact i mean i've i've liked a lot of the films he's done uh subsequently to this uh but uh yeah um I just thought this one would be an interesting one to chat about. Indeed. And I hope you have too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, moving on to my pick for Movie Heaven, uh, I have gone with the 1980 film Used Cars, starring Kurt Russell and uh, Jack Warden. And uh, this was a film that um, I caught one night, late night on TV, and I... Uh, I didn't know what it was. So I'd never heard of it. And I just sort of, I just started watching it. And uh, I laughed through the whole thing. It was so hysterical. Um, you know, when you laugh and it hurts, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was me at the end of it. It was just, oh, it was so funny. And there's some, just some great sort of set pieces in it. But um, yes, if you don't know, the film it's about uh kurt russell plays a character called rudo rosso who's a car salesman and uh he works in a car lot that's you know it's a bit run down the cars they sell not great falling apart i mean the fact that the opening sequence is of him kind of you know turning back the clock the 
speedometer on a, on a car to make it look like it's had less miles and then you see him sort of pump up a a tire and then you see him stick gum on the on the bumper because it's falling off and um it's just it just tells you everything you need to know about this character that he's going to do anything just to to sell a car yeah no of course yeah. and so you have um these two brothers the fuchs brothers both played by jack warden which is brilliant because um he plays this really lovable character he of of the the main lot you know the rundown one and then he can play, he's a complete bastard as um as Roy Fuchs, who's he's he's you know, he's got like the, the blue jumpsuit and he's got the, the sideburns and he's like a good old boy and he's made his money and he's gonna make more money. And he's got the shiny new um, you know, car lot with all the best cars and everything. Yeah, I mean apparently that's how they got him to agree to do it was um you know, because obviously Jack Walden, you know, being a, you know, a veteran actor and, and, and you know, money for this. Um, they, they got him to agree to do it, apparently, because he could get to play the two different roles. Um, that that wasn't necessarily the, the plan initially was to have the, the them be twin brothers. And um, they, they used that they, they bought that in to try and uh, close him in on it apparently and that's how they got it and a good move it was too you know <laughs> it was but i don't think they're twins i'm sure um the fuchs brothers who who runs the older lot is an older character oh i see yeah he looks, that makes sense. He looks older he yeah, looks older total sense. yeah no, and absolutely. the the roy fuchs he looks he looks younger not much younger but he looks younger he certainly looks a lot healthier i mean the the older Fuchs, uh, he's got like a heart condition and everything. You know, we see him taking pills. But uh, what happens is that uh, Roy Fuchs learns that the um, they're going to build a motorway and there's going to be an off-ramp on where his car lot is. So he needs to, you know, the thing he should have done was go over and buy the car lot off his brother. But because they're feuding, and he won't talk to him. He comes up with another plan to inherit the car lot, and uh, sends one of his um, in, one of his mechanics to go over there to you know to scare him to death, which he does. And so, Kurt Russell and uh, the other salesman, played by Garrett Graham and Frank McRae, they have to pretend that everything's normal. You know that uh, that. Uh, Luke Fuchs is gone, and he's um, he's gone to uh, uh, Miami, isn't it? Mm -hmm. He's driven down to Miami, and so that you know, because Roy Fuchs can't prove that he's dead. So Kurt Russell's character wants to be a senator for that state, and he's got an earn uh, a certain amount of money. I think it's like eighty grand or something like that to to buy his nomination. And so he's he's doing everything in his power to, um, you know, to raise that money. And so once he's in charge of the car lot, uh, then they start, you know, doing some really outrageous things. It's like they sell old junkers to um, to the drivers. What they call it? Drivers Ed? Yeah, Drivers Education. You know, to the school board, and <laughs> you know, sell them like old uh, taxi cabs that've been sprayed blue, and then. Uh, 
also you have this character called Jeff who's um he believes in luck he totally believes in you know good luck and bad luck he's got like lucky charms and he won't walk under a ladder and if anybody if he sees a black cat he he won't let it walk across his path and all this stuff but his main thing is red cars red cars mean trouble to him they're bad luck and it's just it's just beautiful how that plays into the story you know that this it's not a character trait that's just there it actually fits a purpose and um, that sort of comes into the story later on well actually i mean i'll just say it because there's a whole sequence where so it turns out that the elder fute brother has a daughter he hasn't seen for ages and she's come into town and they're trying to hide from her the fact that you know her father's dead you know they tell her that she's left town. They're trying to do everything to sort of, you know, get her out of town because uh, they're trying to do this commercial. They're trying to break into the signal of the president's speech. And so they can do this commercial, which uh, if she sees it, she, you know, she's going to start asking questions of where her father is and stuff, because why would there be a commercial being made? And um, and so she... Uh, eventually it comes out that he's dead and they they have come up with this really great plan of showing that uh that he's died you know by getting putting his body in well because they buried him in the back lot in his old car they unbury him and then sort of on drive him autopilot into a pylon you know destroying the car and the body <laughs> and all evidence but the daughter doesn't, you know, the daughter knows the truth and she fires the lot of them. And so Kurt Russell has put his money down on a, a on a football match, on a football game. And um, and Jeff has said, oh, I've got, you know, good feelings about this one team. And of course, Kurt, Kurt Russell, he bets on the other team. And of course, they're losing. And so what Jeff does in this bar is he does everything that's bad luck. He goes under a ladder, he breaks a mirror, he put pours salt anywhere. <laughs> and of course, it starts affecting the game. It's so, so great to see him doing all this stuff and seeing it affect the game. It's such a great scene. And and then also you also have the, the whole thing with... So the daughter's in charge and the Fuchs brother... Roy Fuchs still wants that car lot. And what he does is that she's done a commercial and at the local TV station, he gets one of the technicians to um, change a word up. So she says, um, was it a style of car? And they swap it with mile. So <laughs> she says, mile of cars. We have a mile of cars. And so he can, he does it for slander, takes it to court. And so that way he can get the, the car lot offer. And uh, so how, you know, Kurt Russell's character, you know, he's about to become senator. He's got the money and he finds out that the elder Fuchs brother, oh no, the younger Fuchs brother's car lot is in trouble. You know, if they just stay there, he, you know, they're going to have the best car lot in the area because the other Fuchs brother's car lot's going to be torn down and there's nothing you can do about it. And so he turns up at court and he says to her, 
you know, she he convinces her to say, yes, we have a mile of cars. And, of course, gets all the driver ed guys, you know, all the kids to come along. And there's there's like there's 250 cars going through the desert, get back to this car lot. And it's just it's just so great. And of course, again, when I was talking about Romance in Stone, the whole thing about setup at the beginning, we meet this character. Uh, oh, God, what's this guy's name? Uh, Manuel, Manuel, who's, you know, he's a typical sort of, you know, caricature of a Mexican. He's all dirty and likes touching himself a lot. But of course, he has he shows him the picture, doesn't he? Kurt Russell, with this picture of 250 cars. So which comes into play, you know. Yeah. You know, later on because and why this kind of works why it's not so on the head is the fact that it's kind of throwaway mm-hmm. you know kurt russell doesn't want to know he's he just shows him a picture and it's like oh, i've got 250 cars man and he's like yeah whatever <laughs> and then of course later on it plays part of it and you know so many things this film but it's it's one of those films where it's is really funny and also jeff at the end he's driving a car a red car with blue primer on it <laughs> and so when it gets sprayed off he real he, he stops and there's this great stunt where he walks backward and this car just misses him and you're just thinking god the timing on that must have been great because if he'd just been if he'd just been a bit quicker that car would have hit him and you know, there there would have been <laughs> they'd have to find a new actor. Yeah, but no, exactly. uh, you know, but in the end, it's sort of you know he's he's able to he does a stunt where he drives um, over over a uh, a train, you know, and is able to get there and you know sort of saves the day. But uh, I do love um, the actor who plays the judge because it's Grandpa from the Monsters. That's right. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when you when you pick this, I have to say I was I was somewhat surprised to start with because I thought, really, you know, this is the guy that's done, you know, cast away contact, what lies beneath, you know, all these all these films and you pick news cars. But I thought, OK. And I hadn't I hadn't seen it in a long, long time. Um, and I put it on and, uh, you, you know, you, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, again, this is this is. He co-wrote this with Bob Gale, um, you know, the same guy that, that obviously did the Back to the Future trilogy. And um, something that, you know, they are masters at is this whole sort of setting things up that, that pay off later. And um, mm. and that, that works really well in this case. Um, and, and it is wrong. It does make me laugh, though, watching it today is you realize how sort of politically incorrect the whole film is <laughs> <laughs> well it came out at a time where of porkies so you, you had to do that thing where you know uh women got naked i mean it, it only only it happens once doesn't it when they do that uh commercial when they yeah. cut into the super bowl and the the whole bit where her dress gets snagged on the um, on the bonnet ornament. yeah yeah and of course and her top comes off so they have to push in with the camera they've got to be really rude about it i do love the bit with the guy he's having sex with his wife isn't he and he just looks at her and then looks at her breasts and like that's right I'm missing something here yeah 
I think that's Dick Miller, isn't it? I think, yeah, it is Dick Miller. Yes, it is. It is Dick Miller, yeah. What what really made me laugh as well was the family at home where the the kids go, oh, look, look, naked boobies. And and, and the mother's like really pissed off and the dad's kind of enjoying it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny how uh, everybody else turned up at the used car lot apart from uh, Dick Miller. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. He's still in bed. He scored. He didn't need to go anywhere. Well, but... I think I think the next day he had to go into his gun shop, you know? <laughs> yes, indeed, because somebody was going to buy. He was going to close early that day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to check out early, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's a big but... fella wants a, wants an Uzi. An Uzi 90 millimeter. Yes, indeed. See, we've, we've even got that into the podcast. Wow. We're really ticking them all today. Um, That's it. But, uh, so, but in terms of this film, uh, I know yeah. obviously Spielberg and I think it was John Milius as well, wasn't it? Was involved yes. in getting this produced for them. Um, That's right. They were quite the early in their career. It, yeah. 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 Um, my understanding is though, I think it, I think it kind of, suffered a little bit because it was the same time that that the airplane film came out oh look another Z for Vazuka yeah. or whatever there the you go Zucker another Brothers, Z yeah. um yeah. but that came out at the same time and i think it had i mean i don't know this was all sort of before my time to sort of remember in terms of cinema and box office and stuff but my understanding is that had you, you know some impact on the on the initial success of this film i believe oh i, I definitely because the airplane poster is just everywhere yes i, I remember in american werewolf in london when the guy's running through the tube station you actually <laughs> we see got that in there as well we yes. got that as well <laughs> we see an airplane poster on the wall and i remember going through that tunnel when i was younger seeing that airplane poster there i think that airplane poster what was there for years i think it was never touched i think uh near the near the end before they've changed all the tunnels and everything down there that they actually peeled back some of the old posters on it and there was still the airplane poster right <laughs> right still there. yeah well i mean it's very famous of course but yeah but um the other one of the other things i noticed watching this this now i mean y- mm. you know i did kind of like again things i wouldn't have picked up on so much as a kid but you know the sort of between you know used car salesmen and politicians and corruption and all that sort of thing but uh, but yeah. w- w- what Zemeckis did is I noticed he used um or should I say he he would use a lot of the actors that were in this in 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 later stuff because pretty much That's the right, whole yeah. extended family in Back to the Future were were featured in that car that massive car um convoy scene you know you had Mark McClure and um the, the 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 girl who played his sister and all this sort of the, thing in there right. yeah, yeah 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 well i mean cool. i mean that's the fact that you have uh the actor who played manuel was in romancing the stone with his little mule oh that's right the little mule guy yes yeah, yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah he's the sleazy mexican you know car salesman who kept touching himself and everybody else <laughs> <laughs> i mean also you've got michael mckean in there yes as the uh to the te- one of the tech guys who actually has like the, the other guys installed a pacemaker in him. That's <laughs> right. That's you see right. the wires go out of his chest and looks it just looks like it was, you know, handmade. It just looks <laughs> by, by, by the way, while we're mentioning Michael McKean, I have to say it because I'm a big fan. I don't know I know you watch a lot of uh 
Netflix and stuff. Um, Better Call Saul. Do you watch Better Call Saul? I've seen the first episode. I haven't caught. I haven't watched the rest of it yet. I haven't uh, had a chance. But it's... yes, I. He is very good in that. Yeah, he's obviously Bob Odenkirk's brother in it, and um, he does he does play it really well. And that's a great. I mean, it's two seasons in now, but that's a fantastic spin-off series from Breaking Bad. But anyway, um, but uh, yeah, and oh, and one other actor in inverted commas that I want to mention because I thought it was great was the dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the dog was great, and and just from the fact that the the way he tr- he treated Jack Warden's character in both. Uh, in both disguises because when he's uh say luke fuchs the older one loves him everything but when it's when he plays roy fuchs the dog just hates him yeah no absolutely the dog actually kind of reminded me of the the dog with the eye patch from tales of the gold monkey i don't know whether you remember that but uh you know the whole one bark is yes and two barks is no or whatever it it always reminded me of that but but there you go (laughs) i'm off on a tangent but um no no but seriously i the the dog's great in it i mean the the fact that uh uh frank mccray plays uh jim the big black guy He's always falling asleep, isn't he, when he's repairing the cars? I mean, the first scene you see him in is he's got the spray canister, isn't he? He's still got his finger on the trigger, and it's just this blue paint being sprayed down his leg. But exactly. I mean, later the dog pisses on him to uh, wake him up. Yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> of course. And, and and just so we can get, you know, because because obviously we're not doing it on purpose, but you know, we're tr- we're bringing up other unrelated franchises that come in did you notice? <laughs> so we so we can get star wars in there did you notice that the judge was hanging the han solo star wars figure did you notice that you know when he's no when, when i didn't he, yeah you know you know he's got the little setup on the side and he's like yeah you know, yeah he's got he the guillotine and stuff yeah, the, yeah well the hanging is actually the the han solo action figure and it's the version with the large head because there were two oh, right. versions of that figure <laughs> god how cute you I but uh yeah wow, I, just I didn't know I, I did not notice that and usually <laughs> i pick up on star wars figures in films it's like uh in poltergeist you see all the star wars figures that's right so in et yeah, oh, there you go ET, it's in all the yeah. great ones yeah no but yeah. um and also i also like the little sort of nods to elvis you know uh with with mm-hmm. kurt russell when he goes into his room and he, he he's got the uh the ornament of Elvis that he nods to. And I was like, oh, I, I, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that was quite funny as he obviously started off in an Elvis movie and played Elvis. I thought it was quite nice. Like, like little, little Easter eggs like that. I do. I do enjoy. <laughs> so, yeah. Checking. Cause I'm, I'm just curious. Cause I, I I'm, I, I'm not sure if um, he did, he played Elvis afterwards. I uh, was an Elvis in 79. Played... I think with Carpenter. Yes, it was. Sorry, no, you're right. Yes, so it was you're, just you're, you're correct. You're yeah. correct. Yes, yes. And then so... of course he'd been kicked by Elvis years before and when he was a mere boy, or oh, he'd kicked Elvis, should I say? <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> um, I imagine if Elvis had kicked him, it'd yeah, been... it would have been it would have been the other way. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, no. This this was kind of I have to say to go back and visit this was 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 kind of interesting. It was one of those films that I'd always been aware of. And I'd definitely mm. seen it at some point on, on television, I think. Uh, possibly quite edited, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was good to sort of go back and revisit it. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's ridiculously stupid. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's thoroughly entertaining. And, and, you know, when you think about it, 
Kurt Russell's character, along with the others, is, is you know, a very sort of flawed character in many respects because uh, everything they do is very wrong. But oh god, time, I know it's it's it, it's all sort of effort, uh, you know, they they're characters who are very you know, if if you met them in real life, you wouldn't want to know them. But yet, no. uh, <laughs> yet, there's something very kind of compelling about watching them in this, and I I just think it's because as bad as they are. Uh, Roy Fuchs across the way is just even worse. Yes, you know he is. He's kind of he is ruthless when it comes to trying to get that other lot. And even in the end, he he still tries to to stop them getting all those cars back to the lot. And he's it's just yeah, he's such a he's such an evil bastard, <laughs> you know. But uh, no, it's 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 a it's a great film. It's it's worth I mean it's worth you know seeing because it's um it is just it's still funny. I mean even when I watched it again recently for this, still laughed. So that that's why I picked it. I, it's just you know it, it's a film that is funny from beginning to end, and it's you know gut-wrenching funny you know yeah Bill, I, the first time i saw it my stomach was absolutely sore from laughing <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean he's he's done more technically better films than this but the storytelling this is is it, it's just great i mean the script is really good and it's all about setup and payoff and yeah it just it works really well and there's nothing left hanging and every character has their part to play they all have their shining moment and their character traits play out really well. They're there for a purpose. It's not it's not there just to be some sort of dressing. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Like the whole the whole um you know, luck thing um totally mm. totally pays off but is is beautifully set up right from the beginning with with that character. Yes. Um yeah. And uh, yeah, you know that all works. That all works rather well. And and hey, you know this this was an early film in Zemeckis's career. Um, but I think yeah, it, it showed that uh, you, you know he had the chops to to to, to pull off this sort of thing. And um, uh, you, you know it's good. And we, we always enjoy Kurt. You know he's he's another he's another hero. So we we always yeah. enjoy Kurt. And, and seeing him play a morally ambiguous character like this one was kind of fun. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was indeed. Very much so. Right. On that, we are going to take a break and uh, we will return after these messages. What's the matter, Jane? to explain that I can't put my finger on it, but there's definitely something wrong. Jane? I suppose we can't expect her to get over it, just like that. We'll be past this. It's so supreme. Always the supreme in here. It's just the dawn, Jane. You have to take her to the hospital. Have her placed under constant watch. That much I know, but who done it? Don't even try and stop me. You know I'm going to harm you, yet you do nothing. What about that wonderful husband? Oh, Martin. I love him. Well, someone has to die. 
Available now on Amazon.com, on DVD and video on demand. Kane, the Stone Cold Assassin. Three men, Corbin Taylor, Zeke Jones and Jesse Williams, were held for questioning by Marshall Gazer. His revenge will be swift. Ain't you the law around here, Sheriff? Nowhere to run. No place to hide. Jesse, Beverly me Kane? The new violent and bloody horror short from director Mike Tank. Red Wolf Pines. Is that what you told Luke? He died like the dog he was. Starring Keith Hines as Kane. That bastard ain't gonna find us out here. Available on YouTube and official website, www.apocalypticconservatory.com. Red Wolf Pines. Rated R for Rowdy. So, you're making a film. Horror film. Meta horror film. A horror film about horror film. Horror film about cinema. And why would you do that? Life is so beautiful. You just have something in your eye. I thought you said you wanted to do something different. Why do the same thing that everyone else is doing? Drive me mad. They all have opinion on everything. Nobody listened to me. Nobody tried to understand anything. Just too much. I found out recently that I had a, a syndrome when I was younger. When I try to go to sleep, the whole world will change. Like everything will go too quick, too slow, too big, too small. I could control it. Benny Loves Killing. Available now on Vimeo and IndieFlix. And if they don't go for it, you'll kill them all. So we're back. And uh, so we're moving on to our picks for movie hell. So, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Okay, well, um, I, yeah, for movie hell, I, I had a look at his filmography and I thought, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? And um, I've decided to go with uh, 2007's uh, Beowulf uh, film, which is uh, obviously based on the, uh, the, the, the old the old folktale um you know this this was part of of zemeckis's digital animation era um you know we already we already touched on this slightly earlier in this but you know you know he'd, he'd already done the polar express uh which you know he'd used tom hanks for 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 the motion capture in that one and obviously would later go on to do christmas carol with with jim carrey um I have to say, I, I remember I saw Polar Express when it when it first came out, and I did see it in uh, around Christmas, and it was in IMAX 3D. So I remember at the time being 
you know, that time of year, that sort of movie and whatever, um, being sort of taken away by the spectacle of it and actually quite enjoying it and, and you know, feeling quite sort of set up for Christmas once I've seen it. It, it really got me in that sort of Christmas mood. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, you know, there are different types of films out there, different types of movies and different types of filmmaking craft. And I have massive appreciation um, for digital filmmaking craft and, and animation. Um, you know, I really respect that. But it's not something that I always think works. And it's, it's funny because, you, you know, uh, we, we have, we, we've, we've had directors experiment with, with different types of stuff. Obviously, um, Richard Linklater, you know, he played with rotoscoping, you know, with his films like Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly and, and, and those sorts. And obviously Zemeckis worked very much with the motion capture, um, you, you know, for the for these movies that we've mentioned. Um, I don't know, though, I kind of when, when you're going to do something photorealistic, uh, I think those crafts and those 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 arts and that technology works really well when it's like the way it was used in like lord of the rings or the planet of the apes reboots or um you know you know the mcu um you know and all the stuff andy circus usually does what's the biggest one you know what you know avatar avatar was the you know biggest one where it came to like motion capture and having you know these wonderful environments and these big blue people Mm. You know, that was all sort of motion capture and, you know, all CGI when it's uh, from the majority of the film. I mean, yes, you had, you know, you had human actors in there, but when it was just uh, on Pandora with uh, with the blue people, um, they were um, they were all CGI. It was all, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I think the term you're looking for is uncanny valley. The idea of it's. You, you look at it and you think it i can my eye can tell this is not real it, it is close but it's it's not real yeah i mean it's it's kind of uh i remember they th there was that film as well that came out final fantasy uh which was mm, which was based yeah. on a video game which was done this way uh, i always find them a little bit sort of soulless and it is to me like watching a video game and the thing is when you're going to do something that's supposed to be really photorealistic like this type of film like like Beowulf for example um I do kind of think to myself you know what's the point in doing it all that way you know rather than just having elements of it like you have in in, in those other films you know like the planet of the apes because uh, in in real life, you wouldn't have been able to do the most epic of cover his dick shots ever, which this film has. This takes what uh, Austin Powers did as a joke, and ex extends it through a whole battle scene. There's this whole bit with um, oh, what's uh, Ray Winston's character called? Well, he's Beowulf, but the uh, yeah, the the Gretel, Gretel or whatever the the, the character. The oh yes, sorry, he is Beowulf. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, he is Beowulf. I've, oh, my apologies. For some reason, I thought Grendel was Beowulf, but no, you're correct. Uh, Ray Winston is, you know, he's able to play his younger self, quite, you know, and he's he's buff and everything, and he decides. Well, let me just say, he decides to fight Grendel naked, 
but this is a 12th. So yeah. you can't have like a big cock shot in there or anything. And so for the for that whole scene, it is all about placing stuff to cover his cock. Yeah, well, it's funny. You you, you kind of got to that before I, I was going to, because it was one of the things I was going to mention, <laughs> was, 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 was essentially... Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you've got these strategically placed bits, like you, like you said, as was a joke in Austin Powers. But they don't, but th that's the other weird thing with this. It's kind of um, this was only like a, a a twelve or whatever, and of course, it's all mm. CG animation. But that was the thing with it. It's it's a strangely sexual film, and yeah. um, to the point that it's ac actually a bit weird because because you know you're not seeing real nudity, but because the gra because the technology is so good and the and the and the artistry is there and the graphics are there, it is almost like you're watching real nudity. So it, it, it's it's really weird. It, I think it's a very odd. This film to me has got a very odd tone to it. Yeah, you you know you know what it is that they, they were trying to to be like Excalibur. But having their hands tied with a twelve certificate. Yeah, well, this this was the thing. I mean, apparently the the, the, the script by Neil Gaiman, which uh, Roger Avery was going to originally direct, was you, you know I think it was a case of it turned into a budgetary thing because he wanted to film it like you know um, Polanski's uh, Hamlet or, or, or Excalibur, you, you know, and have that type of, of of look to it and that type of reality and. Um, you, you, you know, obviously, I think it was suggested by the studio and because um, Zemeckis had had some success with 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 using this technology to actually, um, you, you know, make this film and do it in a motion capture way. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, yeah, straight away, you've got some odd cast in here because you've got, you know, Ray Winstone's um, got a six pack rather than a beer barrel. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of it's kind of, you know. And you just sort of think, why didn't they just like do this and get Chris Hemsworth to play him? And they, you know, you know, it was. It was well, just I don't kind think of... Crim's, uh, Chris Hemsworth was an option back in those days. No, I mean, probably we're not. Talking probably. about we're talking about uh, two thousand eight. Surprising how long ago it was. Yeah, you know, it was it was probably made from. I imagine they started making this back in two thousand six, two thousand. Well, definitely two thousand seven. So, Chris Hemsworth was you know still over in australia yeah no it, it's just it's just it's really weird yeah. i mean i mean it, it's it's very clever you know what they what they've created um obviously you know apart from ray, ray winston a lot of the actors you know they do use their um because of the way they can capture this their their actual likeness um mm. you, you know for them as well as just their voice and and, and obviously their, their movement um but uh you know i mean i know from an actor an actor's point of view a lot of actors enjoy this because it gives them it gives them a lot more freedom in so much as uh because because hitting marks and lighting and things of that nature are not crucial in this you, you can you can shoot the, the the scenes as a whole and, and and it's very much you know i've heard a lot of actors liken it to theater in in so much you can play the scenes out in full and it gives them a bit more freedom but having said mm. that i've done i mean you know, I, when we talk about my experience, and I say, "Oh God, I've done, I've kind of done a bit of everything, but just never really yeah. sort of got anywhere." Well, um, I have actually done uh, a little bit of motion capture back in the day myself um, for a video game that uh, that Chris, who's been on the show, um, 
you know, we, when he used to work in that, got 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 a little gig for for me. And uh, okay. it it is very bizarre that you're wearing this like skin tight, very unflattering blue <laughs> suit with golf balls at all of the joints, and then you've kind of yeah. got like little silver dots on your eyelids and and around your eyes and and whatever. It's very odd and a sort of weird weird cap thing on your head. Um, so you, you know you don't. Like I've said before about acting, you know, I kind of always feel like from the outside in where if, if I feel I look the part, I can be the part. And this certainly yeah. isn't the case with this kind of um, this kind of uh, acting. But I know a lot like it just because they haven't got to worry so much about the, the technicalities and, and where the camera is and, and, and you know, th- those sort of areas. So um, I, I know a lot of actors actually quite enjoy this process. But uh but I have to admit, I think it's brilliant when it's used, like, like I said, big example, as you know, I'm a massive fan of the Planet of the Apes reboots. And, um, mm. you know, in those films, it, it's a specific thing to create that specific character, but it's obviously in a natural environment. Whereas with, with this, I, it was kind of because everything was created and some of it did look so photorealistic. It was, it was you know, unbelievable, but it just... It, oh, it just lacked that something, and I just thought that tonally, for me, this this film didn't really work. I just thought it it, it felt a little bit odd, um, you know. Even though it's entertaining to a point, and you know, there's a lot of action in it, and the effects are very good. It was it's kind of it kind of didn't quite work for me. So that's that's why I picked it as 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 movie hell for for Zemeckis because I think amongst his body of work which we've already said is, is is quite varied but also pretty strong this one i mean i think the film actually was quite successful but for me i mean i didn't i didn't see it on the big screen i didn't see it in imax i didn't see it in 3d i just saw it on dvd um but i just didn't feel it worked i i felt as I said, I felt it had this sort of strange vibe to it on the whole sort of nudity and sexual side of things. And, you know, they'd taken this old story and, um, and you know, sort of expanded it out some. Uh, but it just, I don't know, it, it just lacked something. And I can't quite put my finger on it other than saying that I'm just personally, I, I prefer to see live action stuff, even if it is fantastical which, of course, we've already mentioned. I like lots of fantastical films of being a sci-fi fan, et cetera. But when the whole process is done this way, I just, I just felt that in this particular case, it, it didn't work for me. And that's just, that's, the, that's just my thing. But, you know. <laughs> well, as somebody who did see it at the cinema, I mean, I saw this when I, in the middle of filming Blood and Roses. I actually went down to a cinema in Cornwall with the lead actress and we watched this together and she was really looking forward to it I was not I don't know I was a bit blase about it and uh, we saw it and we both agreed it was it wasn't very good I mean and it's I wouldn't even say it was entertaining it's it's, it's kind of boring it's it's just this weird thing where I think it's just you can't I, I don't really connect with the characters and I think it's because you're kind of just looking at the technology a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't got it going on in the eyes, has it? You know, like... Um... No, but I mean, I just, I think, though, there's nothing about the characters that are really that striking. I mean, 
So Beowulf is always talking like this. <laughs> you know, I'm Beowulf. You know, he's always sort of very big. And so is Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins is, you know, poor huge you know acting to the rafters and we talk about weird foreshadowing again you know he mentions <laughs> odin in this and obviously oh, goes God, on yeah. to, to play, <laughs> to odin, play odin, odin in Thor, which is another one of those uh, <laughs> funny little links but um <laughs> you yeah. know what you know what it is there's, there's filmmakers out there taking notes so when when an actor says something like that they go oh odin, <laughs> eh? i remember that for when i make that Thor film <laughs> yeah no exactly i mean uh, you, you know i mean in terms of in terms of the the way this is edited and planned and and all of that sort of thing it's very competently done um you, you know and and again you know we've got silvestri does does the score for it and and that's quite good i actually quite liked as well i have to say the uh the song in it you know hero comes home but of course, it's 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 sung by the same person that that, that went on to do Frozen, which uh, I have to say I've still to this day not seen that film. <laughs> oh well, let it go, mate. Yeah, go. I, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that once it's in your head, it never leaves. So uh, yeah, I've decided no, I, I'll avoid that at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. That moment in the film is is really a standout in Frozen. I mean, when I went to see it at the cinema, I had I wasn't expecting anything from the film, and uh, that certainly was a knockout moment in the in the film. So I don't know. It's worth you know if you've not seen Frozen, I think it's worth checking out. I mean, it's you know it, it's definitely aimed at a younger audience, but uh, you know they did a good job with it. I I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, but um, but you know. Uh, Beowulf, I mean, you, you know, the the message is basically women are trouble, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, the, ch the the children of the women you, you sleep with are trouble. Yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, apparently um, uh, Ray Winston also did the, he played the son, but he also played yeah. the, the dragon as well for the for the mo so he obviously he fights himself yeah i'd love to see that bit what was he doing running around the stage you know waving his arms around like a child i'm a dragon because <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean unless it's they're talking about the voice but uh, yeah you know, i don't i don't think they they, they were motion capture you know because i i can't see like sean connery and Dragonheart, you know going around go sure i'm a dragon I'm just going to flap my arms up and down. But sure. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Junior. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, obviously you've got, you've got um, Angelina Jolie playing the, the seductress here. Well, you know, that's yeah. a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, but uh, Oh, can, can I just say when she appears at the end, your heart really drops and you go, Oh God! So they're gonna go through this again. Yeah, yeah, that whole <laughs> it all starts again. You know. The, oh, you're just like oh dear God. He get he gets the he gets the horn in in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> the golden horn. The golden horn. Yes. That's... <laughs> I want to address something in this and uh, just briefly, but I also think the inclusion of the Christianity in the story didn't add anything. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, they, the, the story, the, the old story itself is is fairly short, and they've had to sort of. Oh, it's a poem. But yeah, exactly. They've they've had to sort of, uh, you know, take yeah. some artistic license and, and and pad it out somewhat. But um, yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's this it's, it's this weird thing that, that it doesn't really add anything to it. No. Uh, apart from giving characters uh, moments to sort of talk about the old gods and how they leave, you know, that men don't believe them anymore. But um, it, it doesn't add anything to it. And um, I mean, I don't want to say too much here because I'm just preempting you. But uh, with the film I'm going to talk about, I'm, you know, it's a subject that he revisits again in a in a bigger way. Yes. And again, just does not doesn't doesn't work for me. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the, the other thing, of course, one, one of the things that does come out of this is it does reunite um, Robert Zemeckis with uh, Crispin Glover, who's mm. who plays Grendel in this. Yes. Um, obviously, uh, again, having a bit more freedom with with motion capture than than, than he had, <laughs> you know, maybe working, <laughs> working on Back to the Future. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's just for me. It was just an underwhelming film. Um, amazing amount of artistry went into it, which you know I appreciate. But did it work at the end of the day? Not for me, really. Um, no, I, I no. felt removed from it, and I think you're absolutely right. You spend too much time actually, you know, you know focused on the fact that the uh, that the, the the CG is 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 done so well but at the same time lacking something uh that, that you're kind yeah. of pulled out of it which i never quite had that problem so much with with the polar express because that was something a bit more you know christmasy and 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 slightly more stylized i mean that's the other thing if you're going to do in animation itself um if something's going to be done in animation then i kind of have more time with 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 something that's stylized than something that's blatantly trying to be photorealistic because otherwise you do sort of think well, why didn't you just shoot it for real you know mm. <laughs> but then, as i said you wouldn't have had the most epic of cover cover-up shots in, in a film <laughs> you know i think one of the reasons why the film doesn't work is the fact that was too much energy was spent on the technology on the getting these sort of you know coming up with these kind of shots that is like well hey you know we're doing cgi so we can do stuff that we we couldn't do in real you know with real actors mm. so let's do that but yet it doesn't it doesn't add to the story at all it, it sort of takes subtracts from it and it's just not very interesting yeah it's, it's just you know you don't get to know the characters really you know, outside of Beowulf, he is, you know, surrounded by all these other actors and all these different characters. And you don't really get to know them. They're sort of just kind of introduced. And it's just it's just so, you know, you feel like they're kind of wasted and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, most of these men get killed, don't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not by not by Grendel, but by his mother. Yeah. And, you know, you don't really get to know him that well which is a shame because they did have some sort of, you know, they did have their kind of own characters. I mean, there's the one who kept, you know, you know, chasing after the, the women and stuff, but you know, he gets killed off and that's it. I had a bit of a problem with the Anthony Hopkins death as well. That just seemed a bit, I was like, did I miss something there? You know, it's just kind of like, okay, well, 
I haven't got any children, so you can have my kingdom, and I'm just going to go and throw myself off the balcony. <laughs> no, that's. I think that was all part of the spell that uh, Angelina uh, Angelina Jolie's character, you know, casted because she, you know, he slept with her, and he. She said, "If this, um, you know, golden horn." Uh, stayed with her, then that he would get to rule the um, the kingdom and everything. Mm. So I think that was just part of the spell. But yeah, I, when it got to that point, I was not bothered. It's like, yay, he's going by. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the his wife played by Robin, uh, Robin Wright. You know, yeah. just goes straight to bed with him. And it's just like okay. You know, obviously you didn't care for uh, for your, you know, for the king. No, but he had been giving her the golden horn all along by, um, <laughs> by, by walking around naked with his Adonis body. Uh. <laughs> it's very odd. It was a very, I don't know, it's a very weird, it had a very odd tone to it, this film. Yeah, I, I think I think the other thing as well is the fact that, you know, you know, we we all know how old Ray Winston was at the time. Yeah, he was in his fifties, wasn't he? Yeah. So yeah. to see like a younger version of himself, but not how he looked when he was that age, but an idol. You know, it's very much an idolized version of what he would have looked like at that age. I mean, he looks exactly the same as he is now, but he's. It's like they've taken his head and put it on the body of a like twenty uh, year old, you know, <laughs> who goes to the gym a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and Absolutely. That, I think that was certainly off-putting. I think that was definitely off-putting because you just—it is this disconnect between you know who the character is and this is what he looks like in the film. And I'm sure for him, he'd love that. Yeah, I, I say they should have got him a personal trainer. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a whole lot of Photoshop going on there. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that that um, that uh, Robert Zemeckis has kind of always sort of experimented um, with some animation and with mm. digital um, animation and, and, and that throughout his career. I think that's that's interesting. But uh, I don't know. For, for me, for Pittsburgh, for me, out of the uh, out of the three, you know, if you take Polar Express, this one, and, and the Christmas Carol, I think the two Christmas movies work a lot better than than this particular one. Um, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. you know, even though this is this is kind of an interesting idea, I think the story of Beowulf would work better as a TV series. I mean, they did it like a Game of Thrones TV series. I think it would work a lot better because then. Because then you would get to know the characters, um, you know, and so that when they died, it would matter more to you than it does in this film. Because I think also because they're doing it within two hours, there's a lot to get in there. There is, yeah. And you you don't get enough time for, you know, characters to sort of, you know, make their mark. And you sort of just you're just kind of thrown in there and, you know, and you're kind of catching up all the time. TV shows of everything at the moment, aren't they? So <laughs> all the yeah. announcements this week, it's like, oh, okay. Oh. 
So uh, no doubt there is a Beowulf television series in development (laughs) as we speak. Oh, yeah. And I think it would work better that way. I think it would work a lot better that way because, you know, you know what was missing from this film? It needed a prologue or something. It needed something to sort of set the scene because you're just thrown into this party and then and then Grendel turns up and just wrecks merry havoc on the people. I mean, that was the other thing as well, the violence in it. You know, people getting torn in two. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's very strong for a 12, yet, you know, we can't show cock in it at all. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's almost like because it yeah. was animation um, and not real, they felt they could get away with more. But I, I just think because it did look so photorealistic that, you know, there was a very fine line there. And um, mm. I was surprised, but anyway, when, when I was watching it, I picked up the cover because I managed to get it for like 50p in um, CEX. And unfortunately, it's got no extras. Uh, so I wasn't yeah. able to do too much research, but I saw the film and I picked it up and I was like looking at the box saying, this is only a 12, really? Because, you know, because of the violence and the sort of um, mm. sexual nature of it, I, I thought it would be, uh, be, be a, you, you know, um, at least a 15 if not an 18 so i was i was kind of surprised but it is what it is so you can get away with yep. it with animation i guess <laughs> that's it that is it right well let's move on um let's move on to my pick <laughs> for movie hell and uh i have chosen uh flight from uh 2012 and um you know i i kind of like the the idea of this film uh it's about a a pilot who um is in a plane crash and he saves a lot of people which at the time was kind of very topical because you had that pilot who landed his aircraft in the river in new york missing you know he saved everybody hero absolute hero and they they take a character like that and um but they say but but hey this guy's got flaws He's an alcoholic. He takes drugs, and um, and so the rest of the story is about this character who, you know, he, he's, he, you know, he's a terrible drunk, you know, trying to sort of, I don't know, come, you know, become sober because he's got a trial coming up. Yeah, where, you know, he's trying to sort of, you know clear his name he's trying to say well you know it doesn't matter that i was drunk and i was on drugs at the time i was flying because i saved everybody yeah know? and it wasn't my fault it was an you know but it does it does becomes about that yeah i kind of thought it was more about addiction denial more than anything because this character which you know i love denzel washington he he plays it very well i think um you, you, you know, he is absolutely in denial that he has a problem. Mm. He does not think he has a, or realise that he has a problem at all. And, um, you, you, you know, you, that that was kind of the the, the, the main theme of this that, that that I picked up on. Having only, uh, again, this, this is, mm. I, I'm kicking myself twice now. Uh, I've missed the opportunity to see um, Robert Zemeckis in a, in a Q&A. And um, in both in both cases, it's meant I've ended up actually not going to see the film. And this was one. Right. Of, this was one of them. Um, uh, you know, okay. back in 2012, he was over for the uh, um, the London Film Festival, and uh, I couldn't actually make it. And then I was away in Denver 
last year when The Walk came out and uh, there was a oh, Bachelor right. screening with a Q&A at that. So, which again, I haven't yet seen that. And I hadn't seen this until uh, until you picked it for the podcast. So, um, interesting. But I mean, I, I'll be yeah. honest, I, did, I didn't actually think it was... I, I was surprised you picked it as, as hell because I didn't really think it was a bad film. I mean, I think it's a great performance. It's nice that he's gone back to reality for this one, you know, to something, uh, you know, photorealistic on this one. And um, interestingly... This, the two you've picked are his only two R-rated movies, even though some of us think that uh, Babel should have been as well. But uh, all yeah. of his other films have been, you know, more family-friendly films other than um, this one and Used Cars, which, uh, which, which is interesting. But uh... My main problem with this, with this film is the, the use of, uh, of Christianity in it. It's a very Christian film. It actually feels like, you know, like some church has paid him money to make this because the, the Christian imagery in it is just, it just bashes you over the head. So when the plane crashes, it nearly hits a church, <laughs> you know, so he is saved by people who were, you know, congregating there. Um, his co-pilot is a big Jesus freak, you know, and becomes even more so when he, after the crash. Um, we meet a cancer patient who, um, you know, just tells him that, you know, he's got to believe in Jesus. You know, you know, if you believe in Jesus, then everything goes away. You know, and then just, it just keeps throughout the whole film, this whole thing about, you know, Christianity and Jesus. And then stops and just goes away and then it just like i'm confused what 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 is this story about okay yes it's about you know denzel washington's character being in denial that he's got you know a massive addiction which is you know kind of shown by the night before he's going into trial he is able to get into a the, the room next door which has a, a mini fridge full of alcohol which he decides to help himself to yeah that that bit was a tad heavy-handed i agree that oh. particular part yeah 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 i mean okay I, I i think john goodman's character is great in it and deserves his own film but he's he's in it in like two scenes and he says to him i'm your own personal jesus I mean, it's just, it just, it's so thick with Jesus and Christianity and stuff. But it doesn't add anything to the story, you know? Because at the end, Denzel Washington isn't saved by Jesus or converted. He takes it upon himself when his co worker is the, you know, is going to be blamed for, you know, having, you know, having drunk. They, they find these empty, um, you know, bottles of of alcohol on the flight and you know and because his blood work's got alcohol in it and this other this uh, flight attendant that he was banging before he got on the flight had alcohol in her system but she had saved you know she she got killed trying to save a passenger and he on his conscience he couldn't do that he couldn't let this girl's memory be blemished like that which you know i think you know good for him but he doesn't turn to jesus 
he doesn't uh, uh, but the whole thing with jesus is just so annoying it's just it, uh, it's just me personally i mean i, I think if you're going to have jesus in a story or we're going to have christianity then let there be a point to it there wasn't a point to this it was just it, it, i don't know it felt shoehorned in there uh-huh. and for me it just made me it, i couldn't enjoy the story because really i mean this the story should have been right up my up my street you know the whole idea of you know this character who's massively flawed and he does this heroic thing and and everybody comes down on him and you know it it should have been like you know him against the system kind of thing and but they were you know and then him you know at some point realizing yeah it's his fault but these characters who you know you know jesus you know jesus 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 <laughs> you know ah, it's just I, I just it just knocked me out of the film every time it just i don't know if it's from the book it's based on or if it's robert zemeckis's you know own point of view but it just it just had this element that it just tainted the whole film for me no i see i mean yeah because this unlike a lot of his work this one he was kind of um director for hire wasn't he rather than um actually being you know one of the co-writers um of the piece and what i thought i mean you you know first of all he he is surrounded by a very very strong um ensemble of 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 co-actors in this i mean you've got the likes of you mentioned john um john goodman but you've also got don cheadle and, and bruce greenwood um and you've also got this sort of subplot with uh, uh, Kelly Riley's character, who, who yes. um, you know, which kind of seems to be, you know, she, she's she's sort of the the antithesis of his character in so much as she she's not in denial that she's got problems, you know, and she she obviously you know take he goes along with her to that that AA meeting and, and which he feels very uncomfortable at and things of that nature. What I thought. Um, I mean, it's interesting to hear your your kind of you know uh, religious views, you you know, on on the on the subplot of this and the subtext of it. Um, what I thought you might have when because I, I when I watched it, obviously, until we have these mm. discussions, I don't know why you've picked it until we've had discussions. And when I was watching it, you know, obviously, I'm curious. I think, oh, you know, what, this is a good film, and Denzel's acting really great here i know he got nominated as well for this performance and i'm thinking what and and i thought it might have been um more around structurally because what i thought was the was a problem with it is i thought the setup was absolutely brilliant all of the stuff with Mm. the the airplane crash again all done the the airplane crash is 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 great Yeah, yeah setup is just great and and I thought the the ending with with his confession um, during the the, the hearing, um, you know, again that 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 could have that could have reeked of absolute sentimentality. But I thought Denzel's performance in that and the the way he delivered it was 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 really really good and, and quite compelling. What I thought it suffered from was I felt that the actual structure and, and rhythm of the film um hit problems along the way I, I i thought that the beginning the beginning and the end was really strong but i thought the bit in the middle um 
kind of had some structural problems. And some of these other characters, again, played by great actors, almost felt kind of shoehorned in to the story to, to make those those points to his character. So, so you know, you had Don Cheadle, who was obviously going to be the, 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 the lawyer in his defence on this case, that, that realises that, 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 you know, uh, he the evidence says he was absolutely under uh, the influence, um, you, you know, and therefore, you know, flawed judgment and was wrong. But at the same time, thinks that what he did as a pilot in saving those people was absolutely amazing. In fact, again, I see what you mean back to religious elements. I think he actually says nothing short of a miracle. I think that might yeah. be one of his lines yeah. in it. Yeah. Um which again is now. Now I'm saying it this way sounds a bit heavy-handed, but um, may, maybe not not so much when you're actually watching it. But but um, you, you know, so you've got him on that angle. You've got uh, obviously John Goodman being his supplier and his, his his dealer and whatever, and 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 being there. Hey, you know, this is cool. You're a hero, man. You know, on that angle. And then you've got Kelly Riley, who's got her addiction and her problems and 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 her money issues and all that sort of thing trying to go straight and trying to make something of her life you know so you've got that element um and and yeah it, it is I, I think structurally some of it is a little bit heavy-handed um mm. and i think that's that's where it suffers but i but i do absolutely take your point as well about the fact that it is you, you know that there are definitely um religious underlyings to all of those those different themes and those other characters um so yeah yeah i didn't i just found the pacing a bit bad but i didn't i didn't actually dislike the film i thought the film was yeah. was quite strong but the i thought the, the it definitely had some pacing issues for me what i want to say about the kelly riley character is that um the, the way they set the film up is that you have her story and you have uh denzel washington's story happening concurrent uh-huh. And when we get into the the plane crash, you see her being taken out of the. You see the the plane flying over her motel where she's been taken out on a stretcher because she's had an overdose. Mm. And so, not only did Denzel Washington say with his quick thinking save the the passengers, most of the passengers, but uh, also save the people on the ground. So that way their lives were connected as well so when you're watching it you think well these two characters they're they're connected and we're going to see their you know see what happens with that relationship and you do for a bit and then she just disappears and she's gone and never mentioned again never seen again and it was just like what a waste but what was the point of that character at all yeah, well, I mean, they had that bit where she'd kind of um, she'd managed to get herself the job and whatever, hadn't she? And um, was was kind of getting her life together. So she 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 did have she did have a bit of a conclusion to her arc, but it was so obviously only to only to get him to where he needed to get from a from a plot from a storytelling um, perspective. Yeah, it was it was kind of wasted. So we set up that these two characters' lives are in, you know, are connected, that they are parallel, and that they're going to come together. You you want that story to, you know, to be the majority of the rest of the film, you know. 
you 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 may have you know it, it would have been nice maybe to see her at the end that she turned up to the hearing you know or something instead of her just completely disappearing because then you wonder what was the point of her character why was she there why was it set up this way when there's you know when the payoff is weak well when, he, when he's they do have that bit though don't they I, I believe correct me if i'm wrong but at the end when he is when it's you know like a year later or whatever and he's in prison talking to the uh, inmates and whatever when he goes back to his cell aren't, aren't there some pictures of her um, in his, in his, I didn't so, see that. I think, I think there I, are. I don't remember that. Okay, I, there I, might I, have been. Because obviously he's, be. he rebuilds his relationship with his son um, because yeah. his son comes to do the, the the interview for his essay and whatever on him. Yeah, after that that one scene where he t- when he turns up at the the house drunk and he he the son starts you know you know telling him to get you know I think doesn't he tell him to fuck off. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think there's like a there's a swear word in there, but uh, you know, which is well, this is know. this has got swearing and nudity, and obviously the subject yeah. matter itself is, is is pretty pretty dark. So yeah, this is definitely an R rating. But you know, but the thing is, you know, we 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 only had that one scene to see the sub. I know he he's sort of talked about him and all the pictures you saw of the son was of him as a as a kid, but uh, I think it just i don't know it just seemed too easy that the son would turn up at the prison to do this interview you know again because it it it, it just it takes a lot of time i he would have had to be in prison longer than a year for his son to sort of you know because as a teenager you're a hothead you you know if if you feel that your your father is you know is bad for your mother then there's nothing that he's going to do that's going to you know make you think the other way it's only when you get a bit older then you sort of maybe you know start to realize you know the character like that what the kind of you know you start to see his point of view maybe or sort of maybe forgive him but uh a year was just it felt to me too quick it just it just felt wrong no i understand i mean uh, th- this guy uh the, the the writer of it that was obviously he was nominated for um uh, several awards, including the Academy Award for this, but his name's uh, John John Gatins Gatins John Gatins, Gatins. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's done he's done a few things. He's got some stuff coming up as well. Um, he's writing the new Power Rangers film, yeah, Ooh. and and Kong, Kong <laughs> Skull Island as well. But but he also Ooh, don't forget Real Steel too. Exactly, and he, and, he, and he also he also wrote Need for Speed, which yeah, okay, so uh, yeah, he, he's oh he's done quite a bit of acting as well. I didn't realize that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just feel that maybe I, I feel the problems with this film is not in in the uh, the directing of it or the acting of it, which I think are, are very good in in both cases. I think it, it's it's at the script end, meaning even though the story itself is not that bad, I think maybe this script could have done with a polish or some reworking. Because mm. uh, I mean, according to IMDb uh, trivia on this, because again, I I. I I only got this on a cheap DVD, which didn't have the commentary or, or any of the extras. Yeah. So, I, so I did a bit of looking on IMDb. And um, apparently 
absolutely everything that was shot was used in this film. Nothing ended up on the cutting room floor at all. So right. it just that just there there makes me think that um you you know did this did this go through enough rewriting and restructuring if if like literally everything that was written and shot was used i think the whole Christi christianity slant does come from robert zemeckis and i say this because you know he you know he makes beowulf and there's a whole christian subplot in that is you know <clears throat> the fact that um john malkovich's character who originally starts off as like an advisor to the king ends up being like a priest the catholic priest and you know it, it, again it was this one thing that didn't add to the story but watching these two films back to back it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb so it, it does feel like um robert Zemeckis has this you know he's kind of interested in religion in christianity you know maybe he is a big christian don't know but um it's suddenly it's there in his work which it wasn't before i mean in in forrest gump you know i i don't remember there being bits you know you have a character who rails against god for god's sake you've got um uh, you know sergeant dan you know who you know in one scene with in the storm he's railing at god you know mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you know, I don't know. It's just, it feels to me like it's something that later in his life, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of got this interest in Christianity and it's sort of really come out in his work. And I don't think it's, it it doesn't help his work. Hmm. It, it's, it's just this element that sort of kind of turns me off. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. It's not something I've ever really thought about, but uh, that, that is that is very interesting. Yeah. I'm just looking at his filmography now and just trying to figure out where that might have changed. Maybe, well, maybe it was around the time it was to Polo Express and it's like, oh, Santa? God. Santa? God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure. Now, have, you seen, have you seen The Walk? Because you see, I missed that. I've, I've, I've no, obviously I seen the seen documentary the walk, no. on which it was based and stuff, but I've not seen the... Um, the actual right, yeah, film it's, it's 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 very much like the documentary, but then they actually film that you actually show the walk, and it's not you know something that's talked about. You get to to experience. It's kind of like a and and I, I heard a lot of people when they saw it in three D that the whole walk sequence itself is kind of breathtaking. I have to say, I saw um I I don't know what film I'd gone to see, but I went to see a film in three D IMAX that this was a trade this there was a trailer for this on the uh, beginning mm. and it was in full IMAX 3D and I have to say the trailer the trailer gave me <laughs> vertigo so um it, you know he was doing something right because uh, that yeah. that seemed quite effective actually even though obviously it was completely unreal I know <laughs> well I remember when uh, I first saw the trailer for Gravity on YouTube and I was like Phew. I went, oh, this looks terrible. And then I saw the trailer for Gravity in 3D and I went, oh my God, I have to see this in 3D. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, some films it works for and some it doesn't. Yes. But uh, I think if it was shot for it, then it usually works. But yeah, yeah. Well, yes and no. I think it, if, it, it depends on what they're filming because the thing about Gravity was it was very much a ride. 
it was kind of like a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the story in it is very slim, really. Mm-hmm. You know, the story is you know astronauts go into space. There's a major disaster, and one astronaut has to fight to survive and get back to Earth. That is the story. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And the rest is just spectacle. It's just you know, the the whole sensation of you know being out in space and you know trying to fight to survive and 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 you know things like that so there you have it we even got we even got onto gravity brilliant we got onto (laughs) gravity but uh, the thing about gravity is yes i've seen that at the cinema but have i gone back to seen it since no because it it was just it was an event film something to see on a big screen in 3d and that's it and it's just a film i don't want to return to because story-wise character-wise kind of weak you know yeah no i understand what you mean yeah so i mean any any more to add about flights no that's me for flight um or do you have anything more to say about robert zemeckis well there's there's so much isn't there but uh i mean yeah (laughs) I, i think i think i think again what we try and do sometimes on these podcasts is maybe not not necessarily go with all the obvious choices, and I think we 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 perhaps pick some here that um that that are less talked about um in his in his filmography than 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 some of the stuff. So uh, yeah, hopefully people will find that interesting. But uh, yeah, he's done, he's done a. I mean, on the most part, I I've seen most of his films. It's I have not seen the last yeah. one. I don't think I've maybe saw the very first one, but. Um, most of the stuff in the middle I've seen, and yeah, again on the most part, I've in, I've enjoyed these. These these have been very uh, very entertaining films. Oh, indeed. I mean, also sort of pushing technology. I mean, um, one of the first DVDs I ever bought was Contact. Right. Yes. Oh my God, Contact's got a heavy Christian slant to it. Oh my God. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It all started with Contact. <laughs> you've, you've become very sensitive to all this simon clearly you know <laughs> i don't know i mean i've i've, I've i don't know i think it's the way it's used because i mean uh i recently got to see the devils mm-hmm. and the as as much uncut as possible because there's still parts of that film that's missing and uh oh my god that's got a heavy you know oh yeah religious slant on it but it works as a story. It really works very well as a story. I mean, I've got nothing against religion. I think it's just the way it's portrayed in th- in the film. And sorry to go back to flight, but but the the, the problem is that it it just seems to be a lot of characters going, you know, God and Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a good thing, and you know, put your faith in Jesus and stuff. And it's just it was a lot of a propaganda. I would say for Jesus and God and Christianity. And it was very, you know, that it was like playing to, you know, the middle, you know, the mid American kind of audience who, you know, they're people who, you know, would be known as fear, you know, God fearing people, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they, they have total belief in Jesus and God and, and the church and everything like that. And, um, you know, and I'm somebody who, you know, I'm a lapsed Catholic. You know, I did my time when I was a kid. When, you know, when I was 18, I was able to stop going to church. <laughs> okay. And so, 
you know, and it's not that I don't believe in God. I'm not an atheist, but I, I just, you know, when somebody's trying to cram God down my throat, that's when, you know, I don't want to know. And that's what it felt like watching flight. I mean, in, in contact, not so much though, because there was kind of a payoff. I mean, the fact that she was somebody who totally believed in science and you had Matthew McConaughey's character, who was somebody who believed in God and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they, they were butting heads. They were, you know, it was an argument. Absolutely. And in the end, it just, it just happens that, you know, science didn't win out. The fact that this, you know, she went on this trip and there's no proof she went on this trip. It's just all to do with, you know, faith and believing her. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I need to revisit Contact because I did actually, I picked Contact up on um, Blu-ray when Interstellar came out because I was going to do a bit okay. of a, I was going to kind of go mm. back and revisit Contact because of Interstellar. And, um, y you know, because because of obviously all the homework that I have to do for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell, <laughs> uh, I, ha I haven't got around to actually <laughs> putting it in the player yet. But uh, I, I do, I do, I do want to, it is on... It is one of those films that, yes, I saw at the time, uh, which was, crikey, when was that? That was late 90s, wasn't it? Contact, I think. Well, Contact 97. Yeah, right? so, um, yeah. and I think I may have, I got it when it first came out on DVD, which was probably the early 2000s, and yes. haven't yeah. seen it in, in probably in at least a decade, I would say, if not more. So, um, so yeah, I need to go back and revisit that at some point. It's kind of funny now, having seen the um, documentary about uh, Jurodowski's Dune, mm -hmm. where he talks about the shot where you just, you just, it's well, it starts off the universe and then moves in, and it keeps going and keeps going, and of course the opening to Contact is you see the Earth, and it moves away. Mm -hmm. and you keep you hearing the radio, you know as it moves away we go back in time it's it's a very similar shot and it's it's kind of interesting i'm not saying that uh robert zemeckis ripped off uh Jurodowski, but that people can have like similar thoughts oh yeah you know yeah and also much. that that film was a you know even though the film was not made it was a massive influence you know especially on alien Mm -hmm. hey. Oh God, we got, <laughs> got an alien in there! Bloody hell, Simon! <laughs> you, 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 you planned that, didn't you? You must have planned that. No, one. no, but that was certainly a bingo moment. Ooh, that's a bingo! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I wonder if our, if our listeners are loving this or cringing. <laughs> Loving uh, it, I'm sure. I Loving hope. it. We hope. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, you know, other, other films, he's done a lot of good stuff, hasn't he? He has done a lot of good stuff. Well, I mean, I, I do love the fact that, um, you know, with Castaway, that he he filmed half of it and then he stopped. When he made another film. Yeah. So that Tom Hanks could lose the weight and grow, grow the beard, you know, yeah. to do it for real. Yeah. Which is hilarious to think that the next film he did afterwards was the Polar Express where nothing was real in it. So. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He, uh, no, because he went and filmed um, What Lies Beneath in, in between, which, uh, which you know, I, I like because obviously it's very, very Hitchcockian. There you go. Hey, we've okay. got Hitchcock in there. Hitchcock. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, 
he has he has had an interesting career and he's he's produced a lot of um of good work as well so uh yeah yeah i think i i think we've given um we've given robert zemeckis his due between this and our back to the future podcast yes definitely yes we have <laughs> we have <laughs> well um before we sign off uh we just want to sort of add that um you know now we've gone through the a to z the first time around we're going to go again but we're we're going to take a little break from it first we're not gonna that doesn't mean that we're not going to do any more podcasts it just means that we're going to do a few other sort of specials before we go back into it so we can just you know catch up with everything and sort of just refresh ourselves definitely yes we have more of a plan this time for for season two <laughs> of the a to z of directors and so we're we're going to be a lot more prepared i think hopefully hope so yeah i need i've realized having listened to a few yeah. of them back that i need to stop saying um uh absolutely i need to stop saying um Oh, what's the other thing? There's something else that I say all the time. Things of that nature. Oh. I say things of that nature <laughs> all the time. I, I, I need to broaden the vocabulary for season two. <laughs> I have no worries about that. You, you know, it, it, it's, it's what makes you you. Indeed. I, 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 have, I have phrases that I say all the time as well, <laughs> you know, like, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, we both say that a lot, I think. It's conversational, you know. It is indeed. <laughs> but I have to say, from somebody who edited a guy who said fantastic a lot, it's fine, you know, because that was, that was the one phrase that drove me up the wall when I was editing a video with one guy just going, fantastic, 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 fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, keep on with... Uh, with all those those phrases of yours well you know i bring i bring the love to it i bring all the other films and the silly the silly tangents that we go off on talking of tangents <laughs> right uh, we, yeah. we we think ours is bad i don't know if you listen to the um hero movie podcast it's a u.s no. one it's it's about no, all the superhero movies and uh okay new and old they talk about you know marvel cinematic universe stuff but they also talk about old stuff and they they, they the last episode was actually um i don't know why i'm plugging them but it was a superman 3 episode which i found very <laughs> right. amusing and had to listen to but they actually went off on a tangent talking about footwear for 20 minutes in this podcast oh god we're not we're not that no bad. i mean these are feature length podcasts like ours but um yeah but but they they really went off on a tangent and i had to laugh Oof. at that i thought wow that that is at least our tangents are usually about other movies <laughs> or yeah, maybe christianity in your case <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go on about for 20 minutes we though and this it was true. relevant to the story we're talking about it was very so. relevant indeed yes yeah. yes <laughs> oh dear well anyway we're gonna sign off before you tune off tune out <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh we're gonna end in our usual manner so keith how can we find your work okay if you go to youtube and put in british isles with isles spell e-y-l-e-s as in my last name um you can find some short films there that i've written produced and directed and that you can watch uh also if you want to see other stuff that i've been involved with past present and future uh, if you go to IMDb and put in my name, Keith Isles, I think I'm the only one. 
um, you can see some other work there. And uh, as always, you can check out my work at independentrunnings.com. And uh, just to let you know, I've actually redesigned the whole website. So um, now it's full of um, not only of my work but there's essays about the makings of uh, of of my films and uh, i've put photographs and videos of of work that's never been seen before and uh, also there's lots of um, you know other stuff on there so you know if you're not checked it out please so do it there and of course you can find this podcast there as well as uh, appearances by myself. And I'll have to put some appearances by Keith on other podcasts on there as well. You've done a really good job of the uh, website. And I actually can't believe that you've actually put the the full length interview that you did with me like five years ago um, up there, which I was really surprised about. I like, oh, he's put the full interview. And I, have, I, I did watch it. You know, I was obviously... Yeah complete egomaniac and watched myself in this interview <laughs> but um what made me laugh is some of the things i brought up in the interview are things that i still go on about on these podcasts so it just goes to show you i haven't changed my tune i've always been single-mindedly obsessed by 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 movies and stuff and that hasn't changed so uh yes it was quite amusing <laughs> it never will <laughs> Um, so yes, um, so you can check out the podcast at independentrunnings.com. Uh, also, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, YouTube, and Last FM. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also leave us comments on on YouTube, and I do get back to them. So. There's always a, a good way to sort of contact with us that way. Uh, so um, thank you for listening and uh, join us for our next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Mm-hmm.